Welcome to the 212th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at Major League Baseball, and a discussion of the Major League Baseball All-Star teams. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. All of Patrick's predictions this week were Major League Baseball weekend series. Patrick went 2-2 two and two with those Major League Baseball weekend series predictions. That means he went 2-2 two and two combined, and that brings his overall record to 748 and 489. That's a 60.5% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I thought I could have gone 3-1. and one. I also I actually couldn't have gone 1-3 and three because most of the series were actually over before uh, Sunday's games even happened. There was only one series still up for grabs. That was the Guardians against the Cubs. That series, the Guardians took two or three from the Cubs. And that, the reason why I'm saying that I could have gone three and one is because that game went to extra innings. The Cubs scored four runs in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game at six, but then didn't score in extras. And after the Guardians had scored two in the top of the 10th, uh, that meant that it stayed the Guardians as the winner of the series. And they probably should have won it anyway because they did have a six to nothing lead and they were protecting a 6-2 to two lead in the ninth and couldn't do that. So uh, I think probably the team that deserved to win it won. But at the same time, the Guardians did blow that lead and there was a chance they could have lost it. Um, they dominated the Saturday game, won 6 nothing against Marcus Stroman after the Cubs won 10-1 during Justin Steele's start on Friday. Uh, but that was it for that series. Uh, in the other series, the Braves swept the Marlins. Again, that one obviously over before Sunday because the Braves swept... Um, this one just really dominated by the Braves' offense. They got six runs on Sunday, seven on Saturday, and 16 runs on Friday. So combined, that's 29 runs in the entire series. Not much the Marlins can do about that. They are not a squad built to slug it out with other teams. They just That's just not really their team identity at all. Uh, so kind of not a matchup that, those, that they'd be favored to win with kind of those uh, results going on. And as a result... It's the Braves who come up with that series victory. We'll talk about why it was important in the division later. Uh, but then, in another series, the Red Sox swept the Blue Jays, so that uh, that went also over before Sunday. The Red Sox are 7-0 and against the Blue Jays this season. Pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, the Blue Jays, 45-40, two games ahead of Boston, who's 43-42. and They had just won a few of those games. They'd be ahead of the Yankees. They'd be closer to Baltimore. They'd be safe in the wild card race. But instead, they find themselves a game and a half out. We'll talk about that later as well. Uh, but really, some missed opportunities there for the Blue Jays and the Red Sox taking advantage of the fact that they have just been able to own this roster all season long. All the games are very close, so the Red Sox won on Sunday 5-4, to four, on Saturday 7-6, to six, and then on Friday, uh, their win was 5 to nothing. So the Blue Jays didn't do anything on Friday, but other than that, they fought hard to try to bring back the series, but just couldn't quite get it done. Um, and then in the final series that I predicted over the weekend, the Diamondbacks took two of three from the Angels. They had taken the first two games of the series. This one was also over before Sunday, so I only had an opportunity to go two and two or three and one based on the end of the Guardians-Cubs series. Um, and it was the Diamondbacks, obviously, who I picked. They did come up with that series win. Um, really, nothing much to talk about here. Just the Angels not really getting going offensively at all in this series. They scored one run on Saturday. Uh, they were only able to score two on Friday, so just not enough offensively to beat a team like the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks won those games 6-2 to two and 3-1, to one. and then on Sunday when the Diamondbacks offense sputtered a little bit and the Angels got a three-run home run from Mickey Moniak, uh, that was enough to lead them to the victory 5-2. to two. A Moniak three-run homer, a Trout homer, and an Otani homer. But even then, Zach Gallon still pitched well in this game, had 12 strikeouts in seven innings, so... The Angels, I think there was also a span where until the fourth inning, every single run or every single uh, ball that was hit into play was either a hit or a strikeout. And there was no there were no outs made by fielders until the middle of the third inning, which is pretty ridiculous. But the Angels did end up winning the game, though, and that's what matters for them. But the Diamondbacks won the series, so they'll take that result uh, after the weekend in Anaheim. Okay, that wraps up our look back at Patrick's predictions for this week. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursday. Sticking with Major League Baseball, but in a little uh, 
different vein, let's turn our attention to our weekly review of Major League Baseball action, starting as always in the American League East. The Tampa Bay Rays are in the lead in the AL East, as they always are, although they're not in the lead anymore for the best record in the league. That has been taken over by the Atlanta Braves, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the, Ra- the Rays still at 57-30, and 30, though, a 655 winning percentage on pace for a very good amount of wins. Nothing to scoff at whatsoever. Uh, but they are only 5-5 five and five in their last 10. This division overall actually has not been amazing in their last 10 games, all of them. 5-5 five and five or worse in their last 10. Really, the only division that has teams that are kind of on fire is actually the NL East. Actually, every other division is pretty much everybody's 5-5-ish, five and five-ish, but I'll get to that point later. Uh, the Orioles, they are 4-6 and six in their last 10. Not too great for them, but 49-33 and 33 overall. Still have a four-game lead over the Yankees for second place and also for the first spot in the wild card race, although the Astros are figuring into that too as well at this point. Uh, but they have the same exact record as the Yankees, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, the Yankees, as I said, 46-38 and 38 is their record. They are four games back of the Orioles, nine and a half back of the Rays, but safely tied with the Houston Astros for the second and third wildcard spot. Uh, so they're in a good position right now. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, just waiting for Aaron Judge to get back. We'll see how long that takes, but obviously it will be good to get to the All-Star break for them. They've had some offensive struggles all year long, but it seems like some of those players who had been underperforming have started to turn the corner a little bit, and they spurred a little bit of a good week last week, but we'll see if they can continue that moving forward. Then you have the Blue Jays, who are 45-40, and 40, only two games ahead of the last place Red Sox, who are 43-42. and 42. Just talked about the fact that the Red Sox swept the Blue Jays, so not much commentary about these two teams, uh, as I kind of used it all before, but the Blue Jays now one and a half games back in the wild card of the final two teams, who are the Yankees and the Astros, who have the same record. And then you have the Angels right on the heels of the Blue Jays as well, with the 45-41 and 41 record, so just one loss worse than Toronto. Uh, and Boston, despite being a fifth-place team, they are only three and a half games back of a wild-card spot. So everybody in the AL East in a good position, as always. Yeah, the Baltimore Orioles just keep chugging along, hanging in at uh, second place. One week headed into the All-Star break, most... To me, the most surprising team in baseball, maybe beyond the Rangers. We'll get to them. Uh, let's move over to the AL Central. Well, I would say that the most surprising team in the league is definitely in the NL Central, but we're talking about the AL Central. I'll get to that team later. The Twins, 42-43. and 43. They took the weekend series from the Orioles, but unfortunately, not enough to be an above 500 division leader. They're tied with the Guardians, who are 41-42. and 42. Uh, As I said... The Twins needed to open up that lead a lot bigger, a lot earlier, because when the Guardians got healthy, it was going to be a problem for the Twins, and the Guardians haven't even gotten that healthy. I mean, Tristan McKenzie is still out. He came back and made a few starts, but he's still out, Uh, but they've gotten Cal Quantrill back. They've gotten Aaron Savali back, uh, and they've started to pitch better to the ones that were actually healthy in the first place, but Savali hasn't pitched that much this year. He is back. Uh, Just overall, their their rotation's a lot better. Um, Tanner Bybee has also come out and kind of gotten over the little rookie slumps that you expect, and he's gotten better, started to play better to the point where they actually do have a solid rotation even without Tristan McKenzie there, Uh, but they'll get even better when he comes back. And overall, it's been enough that by winning that weekend series over the Cubs, they've reclaimed first place in the division like they were able to take last year. Uh, Then you have the Tigers, who, despite being nine games under five hundred, are just four games back in this division. They have won two in a row. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Had an impressive week to me, honestly. They did They did beat the Rangers in a few games. I think they split a four-game series with them. So that's honestly a very good result for a team like this. Uh, and overall, they're not a great team. But the fact that they're still hanging in there in this division just really goes to show you that if one thing goes wrong for one of these other teams, you know, maybe they make a trade and that player might get injured, something like that. You never know if the Tigers would be able to step up and actually be able to take this division from these teams because there's really not that much separation. I mean, you're looking at the same separation between the Tigers and the Guardians and also the Twins um, as you have between the Astros and the Rangers. The Angels are farther away from the Rangers than either the Tigers or the White Sox are in this division. Uh, But then, speaking of the White Sox, they are five and a half games back, 37 and 49. Lost a bad game on Saturday to the A's. Uh, and do did lose that series overall, but just, you know, they're going to be sellers at the deadline. I think that's the point-blank answer about all this stuff. Um, but 
I just think that, you know, the White Sox, they had higher expectations coming into the season. They were not able to live up to them. Uh, if you want to talk about biggest surprises, you could argue them being as bad as they are is definitely up there. I, I'm actually more surprised of how bad they're playing than how good the Orioles are playing because the Orioles were the story of the second half, almost making a run to the playoffs after a really, not not really a bad first half, but just a very average first half, a little bit below average. And then they started to call up their prospects and got the momentum. And then, you know, coming into this year, those guys had already gotten their feet wet and they were ready to play in the majors. So I'm actually not surprised by the Orioles at all. Um, I, I think I had them in third place in this division anyway, or at least a close fourth right behind the Blue Jays and still as a playoff team heading into the season. But overall, I'll get off the Orioles. Uh, talk about the Royals, who have a similar sounding name somewhat. They won their first series since the middle of May against the Los Angeles Dodgers, which that's very surprising. But the Royals, their last two series victories have come against NL West opponents. So uh, maybe when they play the Rockies later, they can get out of second worst record in the league and put the Rockies in the basement instead. But we'll see what happens with that. Uh, they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, though. So they are right up there with the AL East. If the season were only the last 10 games, they would be tied for first with the Rays in that make-believe division. But the Royals actually playing better than they normally do uh, over the last few weeks. But at the same time, they're still a bad team. You know, this division will be interesting to see who's uh, who are, besides the Royals, who we know are sellers already at the trade deadline because they already made a trade uh, this past week. It'll be interesting to see which of these teams, they're all going to be in contention, besides the Royals it looks like, but contention for what? To get destroyed in the first round of the playoffs? going to be very interesting to see what happens here. All right, let's move over to uh, the American League West where we have a couple teams uh, in contention that won't necessarily get destroyed in the playoffs. Well, speaking of the trade that the Royals made, that was to the first place Rangers in the AL West. They are 50-34 in the season, and they have acquired Aroldis Chapman, from the Royals uh, for a few minor league players. I think one prospect and then one other. Uh, or maybe Cole, Cole Reagans might have been on the major league roster. I don't know. He's probably going in between. Don't know too much about the Rangers in terms of that in-depth roster construction stuff. But they still hold the division lead. Chapman came in, pitched a scoreless inning against the Astros um, on, I think, Saturday was his first appearance with the Rangers. But... Look, he's got to be a good piece in their bullpen. I think that th this team is so good in the lineup. There's nothing they can fix offensively. So as much pitching help as they can get, it's going to be good. Obviously, with DeGrom going down, you you, you see this rotation, and you see John Gray, uh, Nathan Eovaldi, and Jacob DeGrom, and you say, those three, if you take those three into the playoffs, I really don't think they have. there are many teams that can beat them, especially because they're going to have a better lineup than anybody they're playing that's probably not the Rays. So, I mean, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Honestly, probably a good pick to make the World Series at this point out of the AL. Um, but at the same time, they now need pitching help because of the fact that their bullpen is probably their weakness if they do have one. Um, and the fact that DeGrom is down, obviously, so he won't be one of the three guys who's kind of carrying the load in the playoffs. And when I'm talking about only a three-man rotation, the reason why I say that is because Frankly, you don't even need the third guy. Um, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, I was watching a Phillies game, and they were talking about this. They started 11 of the Phillies' 17 games in the playoffs last year, which is 58% of the games. You have two guys starting 58% of your playoff games. If you have DeGrom and John Gray, or, or, or DeGrom and Nathan Eovaldi even, starting 60% of your games, you have a pretty good chance to win, especially with their lineup. So, obviously, they're going to try to look for a top-end starter uh, to see at the deadline if they can kind of fill the void of DeGrom being out for the year. And obviously that starter's got to be a rental. It can't be a guy who's there for two years because th then they're going to get kind of moved out of the rotation and it'll mess up some of their prospects development. But um, I really do think that they are a strong team and they'll be able to fight through a lot of different teams, honestly, off of starting pitching strength alone and the fact that their lineup is really good and has a lot of proven performers in the playoffs, especially Corey Seager. Uh, but I'll move on to second place now. You have the Astros, same record as the Yankees at 46-38. and 38. Four games back of the Rangers. They are 6-4 and four in their last 10. I should mention the Rangers are 4-6 and six in their last 10. Like I said, they did split that series with the Tigers. Uh, these two teams wrapping up a four-game series that they've been playing over the weekend. Um, and then in third, you have the Angels, who are 45-41. and 41. They are a half game behind the Blue Jays and two games out of the playoff spot. But... Then you have the Mariners, who finally 
took a series uh, this weekend. 40 and 42 on the year, though, still. Nine games back in the division. Uh, they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and they did take the series from the Rays, so that's definitely impressive. Um, and then in last place, how many times have I said this? The Oakland A's, they're 23-63. and 63. They are 28 games back. Uh, they're finally starting to climb out of the basement in terms of runs scored, but that's about all you can say about this team, and they're really still... They're, they're far behind some other teams. I mean, they can get up to the Tigers or maybe the Royals level pretty soon. They have 307 runs scored. The Royals have 319. The Tigers have 327. But, I mean, their pitching staff still is just brutal. 544 runs allowed. If you look at the Royals, the Royals staff, who probably arguably is the second worst staff in baseball, they've given up 450. So not nearly as much. And even in cores, Colorado, whose weakness is definitely their pitching, has given up 20 less runs than the A's. So, I mean, it's very hard to be worse than the A's are. And even with the assistance of Coors Field, the Rockies aren't even worse. So I don't really know what to say about the A's at this point. I think we all just know that this team is not very good and they really don't have any aspirations of doing anything this year. All right, well, let's move our attention to the National League and we will start in the East there as well. Yep, that is where we have the best team in the majors. They have eight All-Stars for a reason, although that still might be too much. But the Braves, 56 and 27, 675 winning percent on the year. Now they have opened up a huge lead over the rest of their division. Um, I was talking to you about this in, in frame of the Dodgers losing a series to the Royals over the weekend. The Braves are 24 and 4 since the A's took two of three from them. And that will 23 and 4 since that series and make that, I think, maybe 25 and 4 after Sunday. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, that series woke them up. They lost a series in Oakland. Um, and that really woke them up. The other teams were kind of gaining on them in the division. And at the start of June, while the Marlins and Phillies were hot, they made up no ground on the division, probably lost ground on the division, despite winning, you know, 11 of 13, 13 of 15. I know I talked about that on one of the podcast episodes. You could go back and find that probably two or three weeks ago. Uh, but then all of a sudden, the Braves just keep winning. They have won eight games in a row right now, nine and one in their last 10. Three eight-game winning streaks this year. No team has more than one. Um, it's kind of crazy just what they're doing. And after the sweep of the Marlins, they opened up a huge lead on the rest of the division. Nine games back uh, are the Marlins, and 12 games back are the Phillies. I will talk about the Marlins now. They have lost three in a row after that series to the Braves, but they're still 6-4 and four in their last 10, so they were clearly chugging along pretty well before that. Uh, they're 48-37 and 37 on the year. They're still in a good position in the wild card, actually in the first wild card spot. And they have a better record than both of the central uh, leaders who are tied right now. And then in third, you have the Philadelphia Phillies. They are 12 games back, 44-39. and 39. They would be part of a tough wild card chase right now. They'd be behind the Marlins and the Giants um, by three games, I believe. Maybe by, I think by one and a half behind the Giants, actually. But at the same time, this team... Still a very good team, still very capable. Obviously, as we know, they made the World Series last year. No, they don't have Reese Hoskins this year. They've had some struggles, but they could still make some additions at the deadline. They made some savvy moves last year, like trading uh, Logan O'Hop for Brandon Marsh, and that ended up working out pretty well. Marsh has actually still played well into this year. And this team hasn't played... I, I, think, I, I still think that at this point in the season, I want to say they've played more games without Bryce Harper than they've played games with Bryce Harper. He's been working on playing first base, which would put Kyle Schwarber back at DH, which is much needed because his defense has blown quite a few games and overall is a big, big negative for this team. Not something they can be doing in the playoffs if they expect to do anything this year. Uh, but because, I mean, honestly, he's probably the worst defender in the league and they do know that, but they keep him out there to keep his bat in the lineup. They will DH him whenever possible, but just because of Bryce Harper's injury, they just can't right now. Um, and obviously they want to keep both of those guys in the lineup. So Bryce learning first base to try to account for that arm injury. We'll see what happens with that. Um, and then you have the New York Mets. They have been struggling for a while. I believe they actually had at least the second worst or third worst record in June, if not the worst. Um, but 38 and 46 overall now, 18 and a half games back of the Braves. Um, they're just bad. I mean, it is what it is. They're just not really a good team right now at all. They, they, they just... They just really struggle in clutch situations. They've made way too many errors. They made base running mistakes. Um, they just don't get production with runners in scoring position, and especially towards the end of the game, that's a big problem for them. 
And also, Pete Alonso's injury has hampered them significantly, and since he's come back, they've been playing a little bit better, but the errors have still come back to bite them, even some of Pete's errors himself, and he's been very, very visibly frustrated with that. He's made up for it, though, with a few big home runs, including one last night to give them some insurance runs as they actually took a series from the Giants. Uh, But we'll talk about the Giants later. Then in the final place in this division, you have the Nationals, who have won three series in a row. So actually being a respectful last place team above a 400 winning percentage, I would say that's the mark for a bad team to me. They're still not a great team. They're just kind of okay. They're definitely below average. Um, But 34 and 49 on the year, but they've still won six of their last 10. Yeah, we talked about buyers and sellers. You would think the Mets might be a seller, but probably their guys that they could trade have no trade clauses, so they might not be able to. Well, they already have traded Eduardo Escobar to the Angels, so uh, that that move has already been made. They were one of the early sellers, and I think that really any of those guys that they actually, funny enough, any of the guys that they traded for who were there for one and a half years as of last year's deadline, they'll probably trade them back. That includes Starling Marte. Uh, Eduardo Escobar was one of those guys. He had two years left on... Well, you know, the half year at the end of after the trade deadline and then this year left on his deal. Um, So I think those types of guys, they'll probably be trading. I don't know how long David Robertson's deal is, but if it's not longer than a year or two, I would expect him to be traded as well as he was a free agent pickup this year and supposed to be the closer to replace Edwin Diaz as he's been injured. But he won't be needed when Edwin Diaz is back next year. Uh, And also he isn't doing much because this team doesn't really... (laughs) have anything going for it right now, but I would assume that everybody is on the table for them that's on a one-year deal or has only one year left. Um, I don't know how many players that does involve, but it definitely, they will definitely be looking into that. And I mean, they've already sent that message with Eduardo Escobar and Steve Cohen said himself that what they're doing in terms of their play is unacceptable, but at the same time, they're going to be looking at all options to evaluate the roster going forward. Definitely, he did send the message though in his little press conference, that they're definitely not going to be buyers at the deadline like they have been, uh, obviously, last year. They are going to try to move some of that salary um, that they have accumulated, which is, I think, one of the largest payrolls of all time. So definitely need to move some of it, especially when you're playing this poorly. All right, well, let's move over to the NL Central, where, yeah, the most surprising team in baseball, I think you were going to refer to, is probably tied for first place now. Yep, it's the Cincinnati Reds. That's exactly who I was talking about. 45-39. and 39. They have pretty much the same record as the Orioles, but they the Orioles weren't supposed to be a basement team. The Orioles were supposed to be at least a decent team. Or, well, they, they could have been in the basement because of their division, but the Reds were supposed to be in the basement of a terrible division. The, and they were at the beginning of the year. And they were at the beginning of the year, but they went on a big run, um, obviously, throughout June when they got Ellie De La Cruz up, when they had Matt McClain up. Really, really, they've been just kind of stacking on as the year has gone on. They actually have three qualified batters over the year. I've, I was looking at this in terms of all-star snubs for them. But Tyler Stevenson, Jonathan India, um, and Spencer Steer. So Steer started off the year up with the Major League squad, and he's been up for a while. Or not started the year, but he's been up with the squad for a while. Maybe he was on the opening day roster. Um, but he's proven his worth as a starter. And just overall, the Reds have kind of slowly climbed from... I think they actually have always been ahead of the the Cardinals, though, because they've been having a terrible season. But they've climbed from one rookie to the next, and as they bring up guys, they've just steadily gotten better. Um, and as those guys have had better contributions, recently Andrew Abbott in his first five starts is like a 1-1-5 ERA. Uh, then you have Ellie De La Cruz, who obviously hit for the cycle last week. Then you have Matt McClain, who kind of came up at the start of their run, really when they started to be at least, I won't say... I wouldn't say they started to be a good team yet because they weren't still they still weren't quite that great yet, but they were at least starting to be okay, starting to get a little more competitive. And then when Ellie De La Cruz came back, they really started to kick things into high gear in the twenty or so games that he's been up for. They have been playing really good baseball. And the fact of the matter is, the division did not distance itself in the same way that the Guardians were able to catch the twins so easily, even without being fully healthy. That's the same thing that happened with the Reds and their resurgence. In another division, they would not be in first place. But because this division is so weak, they have been able to take first place. Although, the Brewers have come back and tied it. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10, uh, coming off a weekend series victory as well. They're playing the Cubs this week. Uh, speaking of the Cubs, well, I won't speak of them yet, but I'm about to speak about them. You have the Pirates in third place in this division at 5.5 games back there, 39-44. and 44. And then the Cubs are 38-44, and 44, six games back. They, I think, will be an interesting team to monitor at the deadline because 
I really feel like their next few, their next really week, honestly, how they close out before the All-Star break against the Brewers is probably going to determine exactly what they're doing at the deadline because they have a lot of pieces that are movable. Um, Their GM has talked about the fact that he doesn't want to negotiate a Marcus Stroman extension before the end of the year because he wants to know if he can actually trade him or not or even trade him in the winter Uh, because the fact of the matter is they don't know how they are as a team. They don't know if they're going to be a playoff contender or if they're just going to be a team that's kind of sitting at the bottom of the division. And if they're not able to take a few games off the Brewers this week, they probably will be sellers to the deadline. They have guys on one-year deals like Cody Bellinger even who they can move to other teams. They signed a few players that were only for this year, one-year rentals to try to make a run, see how this roster would work out with Dansby Swanson as kind of the new leader. Um, But other than Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson, and Seiya Suzuki, and maybe Nico Horner as well, I don't think that many players are signed on this roster for a very long time. Marcus Stroman, if they were to make him available, could give them such a big haul of prospects because the fact of the matter is this year there aren't the Max Scherzers or guys like that available at the deadline. They just There just aren't great starting pitchers out there. There are good ones, but they're not amazing all-star caliber ones that are available this year. It just happens to work out that way. So if the Cubs made Marcus Stroman available, he I mean, he would be, he's miles ahead of the other guys who are going to be available at the deadline, and they would be able to get back a big haul in a bidding war um, for Stroman if they were able to move him. But We'll see what happens with that. I think he'd rather sign an extension and stay with the Cubs. He does seem to love the organization. So I, I think maybe they, they will decide to hold off on that and maybe trade some of the other pieces, make different one-year signings next year, or make trades instead. We'll see what happens. Uh, but the Cubs still in fourth place right now. And then you have the Cardinals, who are 35-48, and 48, nine and a half games back. They did take the weekend series over the Yankees. But overall, still not playing good baseball. Still 13 games under five hundred. And they could be the most disappointing team in baseball. But we'll save that for another day, maybe at the All-Star break, uh, when we look at Major League Baseball. Let's now turn our attention to another surprising team leading a division, the National League West. Well, the Arizona Diamondbacks are 50-35. and 35. Uh, the, the, the story of the week, though, in this division is a missed opportunity by the Dodgers to reclaim their throne. 3-3 three and three on a road trip against the Rockies and the Royals. So you have the worst team in their own division at a 384 winning percentage, the worst team in the National League overall, and the second worst team in the American League, uh, the Kansas City Royals, that the Dodgers were playing over the weekend and over last week. But they only went 3-3 three and three in that span. If they had gone 6-0, and oh, if they had swept both of those teams, which frankly they probably should. I know you can't ask for a perfect road trip all the time, but I, I could say you could at least say 5-1, and one would be a result that they should get out of that, then they'd be one game back if they went 5-1. and one. They would be in first place tied with the Diamondbacks if they had won all three of those games. But still, the Dodgers are 6-4 and four in their last 10 uh, after taking that series from the Astros a few weekend, or last weekend. Uh, but overall, they're playing okay baseball right now. They could play a lot better for sure. But it, what this team really needs is just consistency from the pitchers. Uh, the bullpen had a great week. And then they gave up six runs to the Royals in a game. And Julio Rios came back from the IL, and that was supposed to be a beacon of hope for the starting rotation that's been struggling and had a lot of issues. But on the same uh, on the same on the, on the same hand as that, Kershaw is now injured and isn't making his final start before the All Star break tonight, uh, as he was originally scheduled to do. And Arias gave up five first inning runs to the Royals in his return. So those two kind of you know, you expect Kershaw to obviously always stabilize the rotation, which he has done all year long. But that injury, skipping a start, we'll see how that turns out against the Pirates tonight. And then Arias not being on his game as he's come back was really kind of kind of enlightening in a bad way for the Dodgers because now you see that maybe the answers that they thought they had in-house to fix the pitching staff aren't quite there. Not many injury updates on Dustin May or Ryan Pepio, who are both very important members of the should-be rotation, the, the opening day rotation that everybody that Dodgers fans thought they had. Uh, but none of those guys have come back, and as a result, this team is still three games behind the Diamondbacks. Though I will say, going only 3-3 three and three against those teams and still being the exact same games behind the Diamondbacks as they were last Monday, I, I see that as a win. But the fact of the matter is it's a loss because of the fact that the Dodgers should have made up games and they weren't able to. On the other hand, the Giants also lost games. They were playing the Blue Jays, though, in the Mets, so a little tougher, obviously a much tougher road trip than the Dodgers, but uh, the Giants did lose both of those series, went 2-4 and four on their road trip, 
And as a result, they are now three and a half games back of the Diamondbacks. They are in third place, a half game behind the Dodgers. They're four and six in their last 10. Then you have the Padres, who went one and five last week. Um, you want to talk about sellers of the deadline. They have some pieces who could who they could move and get really good returns out of themselves. Um, actually, funny enough, they could do exactly what the Mets, I, what I said the Mets should do. They could take all the guys that they acquired last year at the deadline who were going to be there for two years and move them all back to different teams. I'm talking about Josh Hader. I'm talking about Juan Soto. All those guys, they could easily move. And I really don't see at this point, you look at the Padres, how much money they've spent, their big payroll. How do you how do you justify extending Juan Soto for 10 years and $400 million, which is what he's going to ask for and what he deserves, by the way, um, when you're eight games under 500? I don't see how anybody could justify that. And, you know, until they kind of fix the rest of the roster, they've extended Machado. Tatis is signed for 13 years or whatever it is. Cronenworth signed for six years. Bogarts is signed for six years. They can't keep just spending money without having results on the field. And I really feel like Soto and Hayter, despite the fact that they've actually been the two best players on the team, and funny enough, they're the two representing them at the All-Star break, or at the All-Star game, I wouldn't be surprised if those two were both off the roster by the end of the trade deadline because of the fact that they could get a significant return back for that. Um, honestly, you see how some of their prospects are playing for other teams, Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, and frankly, they could use some of those guys right now. Even Hassan Kim could be another guy who could get a solid return. There's a very, very large um, gap, really, everywhere in terms of middle infield play. The second baseman, if you tried to vote for the All-Star game, you looked at the stat sheet and you went, none of these guys are good enough to be on the All-Star roster, and I'll talk about that later. But really, there aren't many good second basemen league-wide, and Hassan Kim can kind of fill that void for a few teams to actually play a solid second base. He also plays shortstop as well. Uh, if they're, if the Padres ever wanted to do an in-division trade, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers would try to get a guy like Hassan Kim because I think the Dodgers aren't going to try to give up big prospects because they've performed well this year at the majors for them, like Bobby Miller. I think they're going to be looking for smaller deals with small prospect returns for the, for the other team. They'll just be getting kind of, you know, marginal, um, improvements around every part of the roster rather than big improvements in a few parts. So that would be an interesting thing to look at. But I think there are definitely teams that would be in the market if the Padres uh, went to sell, especially with Soto, Hayter, and Hassan Kim. But we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. Um, then you have the Rockies. They are 33-53. and 53. As I said, they did take that series from the Dodgers, but they're 4-6 and six in the last 10. Still the worst team in the National League. Yeah, interesting uh, comparison between the Padres and the Mets. They have identical disappointing 38-46 and 46 records. Uh, Padres are kind of the West Coast version of the Mets with two big exceptions. One, they're not in a major media market. And two, their owner doesn't have as deep pockets as the Mets. And so I think you're right. Although they're spending, though, their their payroll is... The Mets have a record-level payroll. The Padres still have a lower payroll and than the three, Dodgers. And the Padres' television revenue, te- television revenue source is bankrupt, which is a, a, big, a big, big way to finance the payroll. I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if the Padres start dumping people. Um especially those that they can't re-sign. It may be a few expensive contracts that haven't panned out, uh, but they're not going to dump them to the Dodgers. In any event, let's uh, that wraps up our look back at Major League Baseball for the past week. But let's continue on the trend of Major League Baseball. The All-Star Game rosters were announced um, this past weekend. Patrick, any thoughts on the overall roster selection process? Well, I have two, I have two main thoughts. First of all, I think that in a league where the least percentage of teams makes, or the lowest percentage of teams makes the playoffs, it makes absolutely no sense to have a participation award rule where every team gets to have an all-star. Because I actually do think, you know, most of the time, you do get a player that's all-star worthy out of every team, honestly. It is it is quite possible to do that. I would say, for the A's, Brent Rooker is actually an all-star worthy player. At least he was in April. But he hasn't been good since April, so I'm not really sure about that. I mean, he's not even starting for the A's anymore. How could you say he's an all-star? Uh, but at the same, or, or starting every day. He is starting more than not, but not an everyday starter anymore. And just at the same time, you look at guys like Elias Diaz, who made it for the Rockies. A lot of Dodger fans were worried that his presence was going to kick Will Smith out of the all-star game, despite the fact that you could make the argument that Will Smith should have been the starter over Sean Murphy in the first place. So that rule, I think, it just needs to go away. I'll talk about the biggest... Um, kind of biggest kind of reason why this rule is really stupid in a little bit. But look, I just think that, you know, the NFL doesn't have that. The NFL doesn't have a rule where every team has to have a Pro Bowl, or obviously it always turns out that way because the rosters are huge. 
but the NBA doesn't have that either, and the NBA probably has more stars on bad teams than the MLB does. I, I think that's pretty obvious because MLB, when you have guys, you know, you take the number one pick, that guy doesn't come up and immediately play. He's not a starter on your roster. He's in single A right now. So, you know, it's not like we're the NBA where you have a Victor Wembanyama and you have a generational prospect when you have a terrible season and he comes up and he averages 20 points a game as the rookie of the year or whatever and even still doesn't make the all-star game. Um, I just think that rule is stupid, especially in this league. The roster is too small for them to be able to do that. Uh, the other thing that I have to say, and this is actually a third thing because I do have another thing. I don't know why Shohei counts for two players. I, I really think it's odd that he's the starting DH and he gets elected as that. And then they use him as a roster spot for a pitcher as well. I know they want him to be able to pitch, but they could not take up a roster spot by doing that. He's the same person. I don't understand why two, why one person is accounting for two roster spots. Because also, in the past, like last year when they did kind of the legacy thing where they had Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols on the rosters, they didn't take up any roster spots because they were just legacy guys. So they let them be negative roster spots or be one player for zero, but yet Shohei is one player for two roster spots. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it robs players of making it. And frankly, his own teammates should be mad at him right now because probably the biggest snub of the All-Star game is a fellow Angels player, which I'll get to that later. But I mean, that spot that Otani took as an Angels pitcher should should be his teammates, honestly. But um, those two those two things are kind of the things that I'm looking at mainly as kind of really dumb. And the other thing that's really stupid, honestly, in this voting process is the way that they always have to have a positional backup and they can, and they pretend like every player can only play one position because there are guys on this roster that by position, it actually makes sense that they're on the roster. But the fact of the matter is other guys can play there. Most middle infielders can play both second yeah, base and shortstop catcher. You probably, anybody can play anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you don't need, and, and even in the outfield, they don't even designate left field, center field, right field, because most of the talent is in center, or at least in right. This year, actually, it did turn out that it is a left fielder, a center fielder, and a right fielder in the AL, at least. But I, I just really don't get why they have to have two players at each position, and it really kind of just puts some stringent kind of limits on the roster that I don't like at all. Um, and then, you know, obviously, there's there's the snubs, but definitely that one player per team rule, just it really doesn't... I just don't get it because it also doesn't fit the scope of the MLB. They hate. They didn't want to expand the expand the playoffs to make it so that what twelve of thirty teams could make it. They wanted to keep it thirty three percent, a third of the league making the playoffs. The NBA has more than half of the league making the playoffs. So you know, I just think that it doesn't fit kind of the overall values of the MLB to be kind of handing out participation awards, and it kind of has messed up the roster construction in a few years, and it causes a lot of snubs for guys who have had good seasons and should be on the All-Star team. Even happened for Will Smith last year and obviously caused the worry for him this year, although it didn't actually pan out. But All right, well, why don't we have a look at the All-Star rosters? Well, let's just start in the American League, talk about the rosters, maybe go into some of your snubs. Yeah, well, we will start with the starting rotation, which is basically just the Rangers and the Rays, as it should be. Um, it's Jonah Heim at catcher, Yandy Diaz at first base from Tampa Bay. The rest of the infield is all Texas players. Marcus Simeon, Josh Young, and Corey Seager. They are the best infield in baseball, though. They do deserve to all be there. You could make the argument that even Nathaniel Lau could be here instead of Yandy Diaz as well. But uh, Yandy, Yandy has been a better player. But, I mean, you could make the argument that the infield could be all Texas players and it'd be just fine. Uh, but Corey Seager, obviously, maybe the one guy in this group who you could say just because a game's played shouldn't be here. But the fact of the matter is, in the games he has played, he has been the best hitter in the major leagues. People are talking about Shohei Otani, but he's not actually over the, even with his hot stretch that has caused him to get to 31 home runs, Corey Seager is actually still has better hitting stats, at least the last time I checked. I think he was hitting 360 last weekend. So, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, then you have Mike Trout, Randy Rosarena, and Aaron Judge in the outfield, and Shohei Otani is the DH, as I discussed. Um, Aaron Judge is going to get replaced because he's injured still. I don't think there's any way the Yankees are going to let him play in the All-Star game when he hasn't played for the team in a month. But the one thing I do have to say, Mike Trout might be the face of the MLB in terms of just how good he is as a player. But this year, you could probably say he's not worth an all-star spot, honestly. He has not had his best year. It is the worst year of his career. And the fact of the matter is, even in the worst year of his career, he's still a borderline all-star. But I don't know if he deserves to be here. I think Luis Robert Jr. should be the starter, honestly, instead of him. Uh, and they've also d said that Jordan Alvarez counts as an outfielder this year, not as a DH. So if, you, if you're throwing him into the mix as well, he has better hitting stats too. 
Uh, Trout is definitely still, though, a great player, and he's still obviously... I, I think he should still be on the roster in general, but I don't know if he deserves to be a starter in this year, but still, obviously, one of the biggest names, probably the biggest name in baseball outside of his own teammate, Shohei. Uh, then, in the bullpen, you have the top duo of Felix Bautista and Yannir Cano um, on the Baltimore Orioles. They have been probably the best duo out of a bullpen out of any team, and they deserve to both be here. Uh, then you have Luis Castillo, who is the Mariners' representative this year, Emmanuel Classe for Cleveland, Garrett Cole for the Yankees, Nathan Ivaldi, Kevin Gosman for the Blue Jays, Sonny Gray, Kenley Jansen, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, we'll talk about those two later because uh, there's a lot of conversation there. Uh, Shane McClanahan, Shohei Otani as a pitcher as well, and then Framber Valdez. Um, and then, in terms of the reserves, uh, you have Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero, Whit Merrifield, and Jose Ramirez. Only one of these guys deserves to be here. That's Jose Ramirez and probably Bo Bichette too, honestly. But you can make the argument for another player over him, which I'm going to do in a second. Uh, but the three Toronto players on the bench is kind of ridiculous to me. But uh, we'll, <laughs> I'll get into that more later. Then you have Salvador Perez as the lone Royals rep. Um, and Adley Rushman for Baltimore. I'm glad that Baltimore got their respect. Austin Hayes also as a reserve. I'll, I'll go through the outfield at this point anyway. Austin Hayes, Adelise Garcia, Jordan Alvarez, and Luis Robert Jr., the only White Sox representative. And then, as I discussed earlier, Brent Rooker, the lone representation for the Oakland A's. Although, actually, they do designate which players were selected by MLB and which players were selected by the player vote. Brent Rooker was actually not put in by the MLB. The players actually selected him as the DH. So that just goes to show you how good of a season he is having, or was having. I, I, I've I said that, you know, he's kind of had a, a rough fall off in the last few weeks. But look, I will say I'm happy Baltimore got their respect. They have four All-Stars. I think they deserve it. Frankly, Toronto has four All-Stars, and Baltimore is way ahead of them in the division. Uh, the Yankees have three, and or the, actually the Yankees do only have two. Uh, but look, Baltimore deserves their All-Stars. I'm happy they're getting them. I'm happy the Rays got the representation, but they didn't get represented enough, and I will talk about that in a second. Uh, but overall, I'm okay with this roster. I think there are more snubs in the AL than there are in the NL for various reasons. Um, but Jose Ramirez also probably, you can make the argument he should have been the starter over Josh Young. He He's he's somehow just become massively underrated. He, he's literally the league leader in war. If you go every year back, if you go the war leader since... Any year since 2015, he is the leader, which is crazy because he debuted in 2014. It's insane how well he's played without people really taking notice of it, and it's really just the fact that he plays in Cleveland. Honestly, that's kind of all it is, but Jose Ramirez, the best third baseman in baseball, deserving his spot. I don't know why he's on the bench, but you know what? I'm just happy he made it. Okay, and what about uh, AL players who are on the roster that shouldn't be? Well, I will say that Kenley Jansen should not be on the roster. Michael Lorenzen should not be on the roster. Um, and Whit Merrifield should not be on the roster. Jansen is only here because Boston needed a rep. But I think that Masataki Yoshida or Rafael Dever should be there instead of Kenley as the Boston rep. Um, and it would also give my number one snub, Carlos Estevez, uh, a spot on the roster because then it would open up a spot in the bullpen. I think that's what it, that's what should have happened. I think they should have taken Kenley out put him in, probably taken Whit Merrifield out of the infield, uh, and put Devers there instead. And then also Jordan Romano and Emmanuel Classe both have lower ERAs and more saves than Jansen. And Estevez has a significantly lower ERA as well. Um, not more saves, but saves are kind of, I mean, that if your team is winning a lot, you get a lot more. If your team is in closer games, you get more. It's not really Estevez's fault that he doesn't have as many saves. But Romano didn't even make the game despite having better stats than Kenley, and Classe did make it, but barely made it. So I just think that that's honestly kind of a little bit bad that he's on the roster. But Michael Lorenzen, then, is my other one. Um, this is just the fact that every team has to have an all-star. This is a starting pitcher with a 4-2-8 ERA in the all-star game, and he's not even a qualified pitcher because he doesn't have enough pit innings pitched. Actually, the Tigers have zero qualified pitchers on their entire roster. Um, so the, it, it's just, I mean, this is why, this is why I don't like that rule at all. There are so many players who should be on this roster instead that don't get a spot. Estevez should be taking his spot. And by the way, even within the Tigers, they have Jason Foley, who has a 2.17 ERA and 37 innings pitch. Jose Cisnero, who has a 2.18 ERA and 33 innings pitch. Or Alex Lang, their closer, who has 3.89 ERA in 12, and 12 saves and 34 innings pitch. So three guys that have better ERAs, their seventh, their seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guys, 
I mean, he's not even the best pitcher on the Tigers. I don't know why he's on this roster at all. It really doesn't make any sense. And then Wander Franco is the biggest snub. Um, he's sixth in MLB in wins above replacement, only behind Mookie Betts, Kevin Gosman, Luis Robert Jr., Ronald Acuna, and Shohei Otani. And he's not on the All-Star roster. And you know who is? Whit Merrifield. Um, already discussed. <laughs> Look, it's just the fact that his his stats are not All-Star level. Franco can play second base. I don't understand the position minimum rule that everybody has to be a primary position this. Everybody has secondary positions. Middle infielders can mostly play both positions. Yanni Diaz can play third base if you need him to. I mean, they can do a lot of different things with this roster, but instead they have chosen to do a very strict uh, everybody has to be at this position kind of a thing, and I just don't like the, the way that that's turned out, and it really kind of ruined the AL roster this year. All right, well, let's see how they ruin the NL roster or not. Uh, let's move to the National League. Well, starting with the starters, you have the Atlanta Braves, um, Sean Murphy, Freddie Freeman, the former Brave, Luis Arias, uh, Nolan Arenado, Orlando Arcia at shortstop, and then you have Ronald Acuna, Mookie Betts, and Corbin Carroll in the outfield with J.D. Martinez as the D.H., for the pitchers, you have Alexis Diaz, Camilo Duvall, Bryce Elder, Zach Gallen, Josiah Gray, J- Josh Hader, Mitch Keller, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Steele, Spencer Strider, Marcus Stroman, and Devin Williams. And then on the bench, you have the Atlanta Braves, uh, Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, the former Brave, and then finally you have Pete Alonso as the only, only guy on the bench who hasn't played for the Braves in the past, which is really funny. Uh, but then... You have Elias Diaz as a catcher and Will Smith as a reserve catcher as well. Nick Castellanos, Lourdes Scurriel Jr., and Juan Soto in the outfield. And then also Jorge Soler as a DH um, as the second Miami rep. Look, I, I, I don't have many gripes with the NL roster, honestly. I think I just have a few snubs that I don't like that aren't on the roster, but I actually don't mind it overall. I don't think there's anybody here who doesn't belong here, especially given um, the rules around having multiple players or having one player from each team. But honestly, even with Elias Diaz on the on the Rockies, he has good stats. He's not better than Will Smith or Sean Murray, Murphy, but he's probably the third best catcher in the NL. I think you can make that argument. Probably JT Romuto is a little bit better than him, but having a down year this year, he's at least in the conversation. Even if there wasn't a one-player minimum, he'd probably be, you know, thrown around by a few people on Twitter who would then get, you know, destroyed by other fans of the Dodgers and the Braves. But at the same time, he, he would be at least in the conversation, so I'm okay with that. Um... Then in the bullpen, you know, you have Alexis Diaz as the represent as the representative for Cincinnati. I think they deserve more. Uh, Camilo Duvall as the representative for San Francisco. I think they deserve more. Uh, but at the same time, those are good reps for them. They're closers. They have been solid all year long. Uh, Atlanta gets two starters in with Bryce Elder and Spencer Strider, while also having the entire infield in the game, which is crazy. Um, but Look, the fact of the matter is they've played, they've just played well. I mean, there's a reason they're the best team in the league. It, it has gone that way, and this is how good they've been all season long. Um, Josiah Gray, obviously, a guy which is kind of funny because he was traded from the Dodgers for Max Scherzer, and this year, Scherzer, not on the all-star roster, but Josiah Gray is. Very funny how that turns out, although obviously none of them on any relation with the Dodgers anymore because Gray is on the Nationals uh, as their lone rep, and also... Uh, obviously Scherzer's on the Mets. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Lane Thomas here as a rep for Washington instead of Josiah Gray, but I mean, he still has good stats as well. They really like to throw the lone reps as pitchers most of the time. Um, And then also in the infield, I just think it's honestly very funny that the entire reserves are Atlanta players other than first base, uh, where they already have an Atlanta player, and then shortstop where there is an Atlanta player, and he was the replacement for the former Atlanta Brave, Dansby Swanson, who is also the reserve on this team. There are so many Braves on this team, uh, but they deserve it. They've had a great year. And then the other thing you can point out is that the Cubs also have two starters along with um, Atlanta. They have Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman, and then obviously Kershaw. No player on this roster other than Josh Hader has more than two All-Star appearances, including this year, other than Kershaw, who has 10 on the pitching staff. So that's something to note. Um, Everybody else I'm honestly fine with. In terms of snubs, I'll go with Evan Phillips. I talked about Lane Thomas a little bit already for the Nationals, uh, but Evan Phillips with a 191 ERA, 11 saves, 39 strikeouts, and 33 innings pitched for the Dodgers. Probably should be there despite maybe how bad the Dodgers' bullpen has been. Um, but, you know, 
Uh, I'm okay with it because Alexis Diaz is the replace is the guy for the Reds, and Camilo Duvall is the guy for the Giants. There's not really much room on the roster for him. Well, there might um, be with Kershaw being hurt. Phillips might take Kershaw's place. I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if they replaced him with a starter, though. We'll, we'll just have to see how that turns out. Uh, but then I'll go with Spencer Steer. He might not have the exact stats you're looking for in an all-star, and if he's considered a first baseman, he's not in the conversation with Olsen and Freeman. But he plays every position in the infield, and I feel like with the season they're having, Cincinnati deserves more than just one all-star, honestly, as a closer. I think they deserve a second one, and he's kind of the pick, uh, as obviously L.A. De La Cruz has played like 20 games, so you can't really pick any of those guys. Um, And then finally, my last snub, it's going to be Blake Snell. He might replace Kershaw, honestly, um, with the injury. He has a 3-2-1 ERA. Uh, 114 strikeouts in 87 innings pitched. To an extent, he's curtailed his issues with walks, and all of a sudden, he's added that in with his great stuff that he's always had, and he's probably closer to a Cy Young year than he is to his terrible year last year at this point with San Diego. Obviously, they're a bad team. Don't really want a bad team eight games under 500 with three All-Stars, but at the same time, they have had great individual performances all year. They just haven't been able to put it together as a team. All right, well, any NL players uh, who shouldn't be on the roster? I actually don't have any. I mean, maybe Mitch Keller or Josiah Gray, again, would be replaced by Snell if the rule didn't exist with the one player from each team minimum. But at the same time, they have pretty comparable stats to him. So I'm really not I'm really not um, too keen on replacing anybody in the National League. I think every team had a worthy rep. Obviously, it helps that one of your last place teams has amazing players like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Um, and Arenado obviously is starting for the National League, so that obviously is a big deal that you have that good of a player on that bad of a team. And the same thing goes uh, kind of for Josiah Gray in that in that case where he's at least a pretty high end of the rotation starter on a bad team. And same thing with Mitch Keller and the Pirates. So I don't really have, and same thing, by the way, with both the starters for Chicago and Dansby Swanson. So I don't actually have too many gripes with the National League roster. It might be potentially just that there's more talent overall in the AL. I think that's probably true. Um, and there's also two horrible teams in the AL that probably shouldn't get representatives that do. Um, but overall, I'm actually pretty satisfied with the National League roster. Okay, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, July 10th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions and have our weekly look at Major League Baseball, this time heading into that All-Star break. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, or more likely next weekend's series, MLB series. They will be posted, as always, on Thursday. And his Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.